Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Draft Sicko Show here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am bringing in the show today, so a fun little change of pace. You know me. I'm Stephen Gillespie, uh, one of the members here at No Ceilings. And then always joining me is my guy, Maxwell Bomba. Maxwell, how are we doing today, brother? I'm doing great. I'm really excited because we've got, we've got a guest and uh, yes. someone that we are very excited to talk to pick his brain a little bit and gain some insights and learn a little bit more about something that if you're keyed into the NBA draft, this is something that you need to be paying attention to. This is something that you need to learn up on and, and be in tune with. So couldn't be more excited. Absolutely. All right. Well, so today's guest, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, first off, thank you for watching, but you can see this handsome gentleman in the middle. This is Mr. Liam, <laughs> Liam Santa Maria. Excuse me. I'm, I'm really excited right now. Uh, he's one of the, integral members of the NBL Next Stars uh, recruitment program, uh, NBA or NBL analyst on ESPN Australia and New Zealand. He's a host of NBL Overtime and the Huddle podcast. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that here soon. Liam, how are we doing? I'm well, thanks, fellas. Thanks thanks for having me on. We've uh, been able to make the time zones work, which mm -hmm. is not always an, an easy <laughs> thing to do across the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, excited to chat with you, fellas. Likewise, man. We just want to first off, thank you for giving us some of your time. We know that you have a lot going on because the NBL has kind of always been busy, but kind of quietly behind the scenes a little bit more so in like the mainstream eye. But it seems like this year things are really picking up in a fun and exciting way, which is why we're so excited to have you on. Uh, what's the overall vibe right now uh, with the NBL program with the way that the season has kind of kicked off? Uh, a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement here right now. We've just finished the the opening week of the season. Uh, and so, you know, heading into to the next batch of games starting this evening over here in, in Australia and New Zealand, um, off the back of what's been, you know, a really exciting off season and 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 lead into the season as well. So um, there's, a, there's a, some real buzz about our league right now amongst the people within it. We're excited about the level of talent that we have involved and, and the like, certainly the, the sporting um, sort of marketplace and landscape and fan base here in Australia, there's some real enthusiasm, like the, 
the two main sports in the Australian sporting landscape, Aussie rules football and, and rugby, have just wrapped up for the year. Mm. And now people are like, great, the NBL's just just mm. started. I can really start paying attention and taking my family to games. And then we're excited as well for the amount of global attention that's that's on our league this year. Um, certainly the, the Next Stars program, the draft prospects that we've had in the league over the years have have brought that attention. But right now we've got a large amount of guys that are very interesting for um, you know people across the globe right now who are who are looking at who, who's going to be involved in the upcoming draft or two. So when you put all that together and you stir it up, you you, you come up with um, a recipe for a pretty exciting season. Yeah, and Excellent. even I, I thought it was interesting too that just the NBL Blitz itself, which is sort of a you know preseason slate of games uh, played off off the Gold Coast there, that seemed like it had a ton of excitement and interest behind it, even on a global level uh, where everybody's kind of tuning in, but obviously like locally and, th- and things like that too, it seems like there's a big buzz. So I know that obviously, you know, the NBL is, is creating this bigger global presence and everything like that, but it seems like locally you guys seem to be picking up more steam than ever too, in terms of just basketball interest within the country. Is that a, a fair gauge of, of what's going on from the outside? For sure. It's a good read. Um, it's uh, you know, the, about, what would it be now? Seven, seven or eight years ago, our league undertook a pretty significant transition um, when the you know executive director of our league, Larry Kestelman, essentially took over ownership of the competition. So it's a pretty unique type of setup where we have essentially a private owner of the league. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, the 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 strength of the league and the trajectory of it weren't particularly strong. It was for a variety of different reasons. After a huge boom in the 90s, it had fallen away quite significantly. So when Larry took over, um, you know, things changed dramatically. The the growth of the league really took off over those next kind of three or four years. Then COVID hit, which was, you know, mm. something that impacted all you know, everybody in their daily lives, of course, but certainly you know, from a business and a and a sporting perspective, it, it had a big impact. Um, our, our league did a pretty good job of kind of riding through those challenges, and then uh, over the last couple of years, since we've got back to normal, um, that steam has well and truly picked up again. And you're right; I mean, um, yeah, attendance numbers, broadcast figures here just continue to rise at a really rapid rate. So, um, yeah, the focus and excitement and positivity around the league right across the country is, um, you know, I think at an all-time high right now. That's excellent stuff. It's good to see that the excitement that we're having for it is uh, kind of mutual um, in, in, in the local market as well. But, Liam, I want to ask a question that I think everybody is going to be the most interested in hearing, right? Um, as far as the league goes, that's one thing. But you yourself, former player, right? Like, what can you give us a little bit of background on your playing? Your playing uh, days. Yeah, I was in the league for a good time, not a long time, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, we were in leagues for no time. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I, I had some very brief experience in the NBL. Uh, I was on a team coached by Brian Gorgent, who's you know the greatest coach in Australian basketball history. Uh, he's the coach of our national team right now. Took the Boomers to the to the bronze medal, and um, you know I had some some sensational players on, on that team. If you can picture 
Patty Mills at the Portland Trailblazers when he was waving the towel at the end of the bench. <laughs> that was that was my career, but without the San Antonio <laughs> ah, okay. involved. All right, so so I uh, you know um, yep a, a former player very briefly, and then uh, and then back in the mix within the league um, from a media and a broadcast perspective, and and uh, you know working closely within the Next Stars program now as well. So how did that transition kind of go from, you know, you, you play and then obviously we see what you're doing now, but there's a gap in between now and then. So what, how did you kind of slowly integrate yourself into to this side of basketball? Yeah, well, so I actually stepped away from the game for a little while, while I was, um, uh, after I finished playing, um, you know, I had some injuries and the like, wasn't able to crack back into the league. So stepped away, moved into, you know, a different phase of my life, getting married and having kids. And um, I was actually teaching for a, for a hot little period of time. And then I transitioned back um, through, um, you know, uh, setting up a, a website and a podcast, not too dissimilar to what you guys do with with No Ceilings. Um, and then picked up kind of steam from there in a, in a, in the media space. Um, you know, writing a lot, podcasting. Then all of a sudden, I was calling the games on the radio, uh, calling the games here at preseason, dating back to the NBL Blitz some time ago before you guys were paying mm. attention. <laughs> and then uh, and then onto the onto the broadcast team from there. So you know, I've been part of our our, our broadcast team as one of the analysts for um, this is I think my sixth season. Um, and you know, it's been, it's been really fun. And then obviously NBL overtime, um, started up and, you know, I've been a, you know, a part of, a part of that since its inception five or six years ago. And, and then midway through last year, uh, Jeremy Lowliga, the commissioner of the, of the NBL, who has been running the next stars program since its inception, uh, reached out and, and was keen for me to, to start working hand in hand with him in the, in the recruitment process of, of those young draft prospects and bringing them into the league. Well, I mean, and that recruitment process has also, has obviously gotten to a real boom lately, but if we can kind of time travel back a little bit, you know, in around 2016, Terrence Ferguson is probably one of the more, uh, I would say, uh, you know, momentum changers for the NBL, at least in how we view the NBL today, right? You know, big time mm-hmm. recruit just so happens to sign with the NBL. Now this predates, you know, things like, NIL and overtime and ignite and all these other things and machinations that we have in in the recruitment process now could could you give us a little bit of background about what that recruitment process was like and uh you know how foundational that was for your league today yeah you're right it was um it was a it was a big moment um it and and a and a shout out here to to Joey Wright NBL championship winning coach back in 2007 and he was the head coach of the Adelaide 36ers at that time and and he was the guy really with the vision of saying okay look this is a kid coming out of high school of you know a high level prospect a guy who's going to be a first round draft pick in the NBA and he's looking for an alternative for you know how he might get there so uh, he signed Terrence Ferguson as one of his imports now it's different now when you sign one of those guys within the Next Stars program. You still have your three import slots. Um, the 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 player as a Next Star sits out, you know, as an extra roster spot. Their salary sits outside the salary cap. There's a lot of things now in place that make that more uh, that encourage those types of signings. But at that time, he used uh, one of his import spots on on Terrence and said, "Listen, 
We're going to bring you in. We're going to help your development. We also think you can help us win because you bring some length and athleticism, some shooting that you know maybe we don't have on our roster right now or are hard to find uh, here uh, yes, amongst local players. And also there was a big part of him, I'm sure, and I, and I honestly haven't had you know too many in-depth conversations with Joey about this, but he saw an opportunity to increase the global eyeballs on his mm. team and the league through the signing of Terrence Ferguson. So they're rolling into preseason. The Blitz that year was held in Brisbane and it was stacked with NBA executives and scouts. And it was a level of global interest that we'd had in the, we'd never really had in the league prior. So, uh, you know, Terrence did pretty well. It was, you know, he had the kind of journey that young guys often have in a tough, strong physical league like this, but he ended up playing a key role on the team that finished regular season champs and was a first-round draft pick to, to to the OKC Thunder. And from there, the idea of the Next Stars program was born to say, this was a really good idea, but let's workshop it a little bit. Let's make mm-hmm. it more attractive for those types of players. Let's make it more attractive for teams to do a similar type of thing. Because what the way in which that can help the league overall, um, you know, is is massive. And you know, I think the next does program as much as it continues to grow, the the kind of off the back of that original, um, uh, as you as you described as Stephen momentum changer for the league, that signing of Terrence Ferguson, um, the the next does program was born. Excellent. And, and it led to other players too, right? I think, uh, you know, Mr. Lamelo Ball probably would be, would be kind of like the, the next big recruit that I would say came in too. So, I mean, this kind of connecting of the dots of players from where it kind of started to where it is now has been kind of fun to see. And I think that the, the way that you guys have kind of started, um, the, the next stars program before, I guess it would be a, would have been called the next stars program. I think it was a, a big player in what we see in a lot of machinations that we see now, again, with the, the NIL and some of these other leagues, seeing that players are looking for more uh, different pathways other than just going to college for maybe a year or two. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think probably the NIL change within the landscape was probably were probably headed there one way or another i think for a long mm-hmm. time there's been angst about you know college athletes uh you know not being able to, to make money off their name image and likeness and i think this you know i don't think necessarily what what we did in terms of disrupting the 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 industry in that space made a huge difference there specifically but I think you're probably right. Certainly, when you look at you know G League Ignite, um, you know over the the establishment of Overtime Elite, and then if you look globally now, more and more, there's some teams across in, in Europe, uh, you know Mega in in Serbia and you know Ulm in Germany that are starting to take a little bit more of a focus on young players and draft prospects. Mm-hmm. But I certainly think that Jeremy Lowliga, Larry Larry Kestelman, and and um, the folks at the NBL took that big first step in in that that period after Terrence Ferguson um, in establishing this program, putting the rules around what it would look like. Brian Bowen Jr. was the first next star yeah, to sign in the NBL mm-hmm. in that 2018-19 uh, season. And then, as you said, it really took off that following year when 
when RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball uh, signed on to be part of the program, both first round picks, LaMelo, of course, number three, and everyone started paying, you know, a large amount of attention to what was happening here. And then, and then Josh Giddy was, was involved the following year. So tapping into those young, exciting Australian prospects as well. And the number six pick in the draft. So Two years in a row there, bang, bang. It was guys that um, for whom the pathway really benefited. And, you know, we've we've tried to make steps to continue to grow the program since then. How much more difficult or how different was it, I guess would maybe be the way to phrase it, was it to get guys like RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball when it was kind of, I mean, now it's it's not to say that, you know, it's the easiest job in the world or anything like that, but it's a much easier pitch when you can say, look, we've had these players, they've, you know, consistent number of NBA lottery picks, guys who've been drafted, guys who've had success in the NBA after playing here. Mm. Before you had that track record, how was it kind of packaged and, and pitched to these players? Good question. The the point you made there about um, the, the success guys have had in the NBA once they've got there, I think is a really important one and, and maybe one we can chat further about later. Um, it's part of what we talk about, the the you know, the experience playing here against big, strong, grown men tools you to hit the ground running. And, mm-hmm. you know, we certainly saw that with LaMelo as an, you know, um as a rookie of the year in the NBA and then an all-star mm-hmm. in year two. And, you know, Josh Giddy certainly had no fear the moment he first stepped out there on the floor in, in that NBA environment as well. I can't really talk too specifically about what those challenges were at the time because, um, you know, I, I'm kind of aware of them to some extent, but I wasn't working closely within the program in recruiting those guys at the time. Um, what I will say, say, though, is that the idea of an alternative pathway um, was attractive, you know, to, to some players. And it was attractive to Lamella. It was ret- attractive to RJ. Um, there was a, uh, uh, some opportunity there with some of those guys for whatever reason may have been falling through the cracks or have had, or had sort of, um, you know, challenges to their college eligibility. That was certainly the case with Brian Bowen Jr. in that first year. And, um, you know, obviously LaMelo had had an interesting journey along the, the, the time as well with, with the big baller brand and playing in Lithuania and the like. So I guess it surprised no one that he would look at what was an alternative pathway in coming here. So I imagine it was, it was challenging in some regard in that there weren't many runs on the board to refer to, but um, exactly what, how those conversations played out at the time, I I can't speak to, but you're right. It certainly is helpful now to be able to point to, you know, lottery picks in LaMelo Ball, Josh Giddy, Usman Jiang, first round picks in RJ Hampton. Um, the success of Rayan Ruperi was a second round pick last year, but was immediately given a guaranteed, uh, a three-year deal with two years fully guaranteed. Um, there's a, uh, you know, there's a high regard for um, the development that takes place as part of the, you know, the process of going through this pathway. Excellent. So I want to ask Liam, for the players that you know the NBL are looking to bring in, is it as simple as this is a highly re- um, ranked prospect? You know, do we do we maybe try to talk to them to see, or is there you know maybe like a, a player type, like a character trait? You know, is it maybe kind of a 
a combination of everything that you're that you're taking into consideration? Or is it as simply, you know, like I just said, is it like reaching for the highest star and then, you know, kind of working your way back a little bit? You know, how, what is that kind of like, a, you know, what is the I guess, like the networking board like for that? Great question. Um, you know, certainly we have, you know, a bit of a vast network of connections and relationships across the industry that we, um, you know, highly value and and utilize. Um, you know, we try to present ourselves as as people that can can help others across the industry, and maybe they can help us along the way as well with 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 intel about certain players, or you know, potentially be pointed in the right direction for guys that might be looking to take the pro route, and you know, might be open to even you know stepping uh, out of their comfort zone and and heading overseas mm-hmm. as part of that journey. Um, Look, there are some elements of what type of uh, player a guy is and what type of, um, you know, uh, psychological and emotional makeup that they might have that certainly we feel lend themselves to success here. Um, And when you combine that with what type of experience or coaching have they had along the way and what is their support network like? Uh, and how will they support be supported if they do indeed look to come across to the NBL? And you know, I think we're continuing to learn more and more about all of those different categories and what works best and what maybe sometimes doesn't work quite as well. Um, certainly, we're looking for guys on you know in a in a um, in a more general sense who are high level prospects. Certainly, we're looking for guys to come into the Next Stars program who are draft prospects and ideally first round, uh, you know, have the potential to be drafted in the first round. Now, not everyone's going to be a Lamella Baller, Josh Giddy, Heck, and Alexander Starr, who's going to yeah. be a top, you know, a top 10 pick. Not everybody can be that, but can, you know, if we can provide an opportunity for a player who has the potential to be a first round pick or a draft pick. And give them an opportunity to not only develop their game and have a fantastic life experience, but to maximize that stock along the way. That's really what we're trying to achieve. So when you guys are kind of going through this this recruitment process, one thing I've always kind of wondered is how much freedom and fluidity, I guess I would ask, do you get to operate with? So um things can change really quickly in the world of basketball. So like, obviously mm-hmm. a guy like Alexander saw, right? Like he's playing an overtime elite mm-hmm. um, could, could stay there for another year. Might make more sense to go play in a different professional league. That's obviously a guy that, you know, you see very good in overtime elite kind of a, a clear target. Whereas with players um, like a Bobby Clintman, where it seemed mm-hmm. like he was going to enter the draft decided against it, or even somebody like Trenton flowers who kind of last minute addition to the program. How, how does that, kind of work like how much freedom and and fluidity do you have to be able to say hey look this sprung up and we've got to do this like we've got to get this type of talent in our program and and how does that kind of work when you see those opportunities just spring up that you you know you kind of have to to take for the league yeah another good question so um it's a combination i think i mean that that this group that we have in place right now is is really my first cycle of this Mm -hmm. recruitment process in the next stars so i guess most of my examples will be drawn by what i've experienced over the past 12 to to 14 months in that space Mm -hmm. and i've found generally it's a combination of long drawn out extensive recruitment processes Mm -hmm. 
um, which you know we, we you know engaged with 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 Alexander Saar, uh, with AJ Johnson. We were in conversation with AJ and his camp prior to his commitment with Texas, and then uh, re-engaged in those conversations when when his recruitment opened back up after Chris Beard departed that that program. So um, Alex Tui, Rocco Zakarski, these are guys that we've been involved with in conversation about what it might look like to take the next stars pathway for an extended period of time. And then there's other situations that you need to be a little bit more opportunistic and and be willing to to move swiftly um, and be ready uh, and have everything in place to be able to do that. Certainly guys that um, like Bobby who, uh, and it's a space that, you know, I I think that we can potentially operate in more and more moving forward is guys that have maybe played a little bit of college basketball, have, uh, you know, a look in a test there, um, the, the draft waters. A lot of times you have guys in that space who are, who want to be first round picks and then they, they find out maybe I will be, maybe I won't. Maybe I'm best to come back next year and after another year of development and I'm, I will land in that space that I want to be. And then in, in that situation, we can step in and say, all right, well, do you want to go back to school or do you want to change it up in some kind of way and challenge yourself differently? And, you know, that, the, that period of time there in the draft process, as you guys know, moves very quickly. Short. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I know of, of two different players, one who stayed in the draft and one who ended up going back to college that were literally down to the final 10 minutes of the deadline. Like they were mm-hmm. waiting to the very last second just to see like, okay, how many guys at my position are, are going back to school? How many are staying in? What do I want to do? Yeah. And when you're kind of forced into that narrow time window and that, that decision deadline for college players, I believe is like a week after the combine. So right. you go through this combine process. It's it's very quick. You've got a week to make up your mind. And then there's so much chaos the day of, of mm-hmm. guys saying I'm staying in guys saying I'm going back that right. I, I think we're talking about young men here. We're talking about guys, you know, often 18 to, to 23 years old, having to make a really, really difficult life decision in yeah. a short time span. And then the way that affects their NCAA eligibility, they may, you know, stay in the draft and decide, ah, I kind of, you know, maybe I'm not ready for the NBA. And I, I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's great for the NBL to, to kind of exist for that reason too, that mm. if someone does stay in and say, you know what, maybe I, I want to do something else, but I don't want to quite do the NBA just yet. And, you know, the college college thing might be off the table at that point. I, I think it's a really great option for, for players to have. Yeah, and and as you guys you guys would imagine, like Bobby decided to um, a withdraw from the draft, b not return to Wake Forest, and then c come here. Uh, mm-hmm. As you would imagine, he he wasn't the only guy in that space that we were in conversation with at the time. Sure. Now, yeah, some of those guys decided to stay in, some of them decided to go back to school. Bobby decided to come here. Um, I think Bobby's in a in a fantastic situation in in yeah. Cairns and with Coach Adam Ford and you know to to um, not only continue to develop his game but to kind of start spreading his wings a little bit and and to showcase on a more regular, consistent basis some of the flashes he's shown. You know, NBA scouts, executives, and draft analysts like yourselves. And you know, it's going to be a really interesting test case because I think a lot of guys that are in school right now and are, are thinking, all right, well, what is this next 12 months going to look like? Am I going to be drafted? Am I going to be back here? Am I going to do something different? Might be looking to say, well, how does this work out for Bobby Clintman over there 
in the NBL as a next star and, and talking to their agent. Is that something that we can potentially put as an option, as a bit of a, sure. you know, something to keep track of and a, and a wait and see. So, yeah, I think that that's a space that we can operate in a little bit more. And, you know, certainly, you know, there's there needs to be a, a, a willingness and an ability to move swiftly with other types of situations. You refer to Trenton Flowers. Um, Alex Tui was a decommit from Gonzaga yep. as, mm-hmm. as well. That that situation moved pretty swiftly when when he was making that that final decision. So, uh, yeah, it's and then you throw into all of that, guys. What I think often maybe is it flies a little under the radar in this process is it's not just us talking with the players and their families and their agents and their camp. It's also working in partnership with our teams here as well, mm-hmm. which is another really big piece to the puzzle because um, it's important that those coaches and owners and GMs are, are you know, really, you know, uh, effective partners with us in this space as well. And that's a that's an interesting, you know, thing to consider. And, and you're right, it does fly often under the radar. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm curious on, you know, for these coaches, right? You know, we know that some other, you know, leagues in Europe are, you have to compete at all costs. You know, it might not mean some of these young developing players see many minutes or they get demoted in their leagues and stuff like that. So could you talk to us a little bit about like, what's the the coach to player interaction? Like what is the league seeking from like coaching staffs, training staffs, things of that nature, whenever you're bringing these young men from literally all over the world uh, mm. to, to kind of showcase their abilities for your league? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the uh, areas in which um, I've tried to operate in significantly since being brought into the program is to um, increase the level of constant dialogue we're having whilst we're out here looking at potential next stars and talking with them and recruiting them. Also having a constant dialogue with our teams and our coaches about their roster, about what type of player they might be interested in in bringing in uh, this year, next year, and, and the like. Because, you know, I spoke a little bit before about the, the program and how it's set up, how it's an extra roster spot, the salary sits outside your calculations. It's a lever in which that teams can pull here to give them a competitive advantage and we're going to try to work with them to make that as effective as possible for them. So mm-hmm. let's see if we can work together to find you a player that not only you're, you're, uh, is excited to come in and be developed by you and showcase what they can do and elevate their own individual draft stock, but that you're excited to have as well because you want to develop them and help them to achieve those things, but you also think he can help you win. So, you know, situations like what what Perth have and John really has right now with Alexander Saar, it's a perfect marriage and a perfect situation like Adam Ford and those Cairns Taipans have with Bobby Clintman and like the Sydney Kings have right now with with Alex Tui. Um, I feel like it's going to be a similar type of situation as time plays out with AJ Johnson and the Illawarra Hawks, once he starts mm-hmm. to get comfortable and stronger and confident um, within fully recovers from that broken nose, he's going to bring in, a, you know, a level of talent and athleticism and quickness to that team that, that they might not otherwise be able to have. So that's, that's the challenge, Stephen, is to work hand in hand closely with the clubs 
to make the Next Stars program not only work for the player and the league, but also work in a significant way for the teams. And, you know, we have seen already that that occur. I mean, there's a there's a common misconception here to say, oh, man, like it's hard to win with the Next Star. When, in fact, the Sydney Kings were in the grand final series with Didi Luzada as a, as a draft and stash Next Star not too long ago. The, the Illawarra Hawks were in back-to-back semifinals with Justinian Jessup as the same type of guy. The Kings won a championship with McCoy Maker as a next star, yep. as a mm-hmm. you know a young guy playing double-figure minutes in the championship series. And the New Zealand Breakers were four minutes away from hoisting the championship trophy last year with Rayon Repair, an integral part of their rotation. So if you find the right matches, it can really work you know, super effectively. So just to kind of follow up on that, because I, I do think it's interesting. It's been one of the most fascinating parts of the program to me. Um, obviously, a guy like uh, Ariel Hook-Porty, he's been in the program for a few years. But let's just kind of use him as an example here. Um, let's say I'm an NBL team and, you know, maybe I want a next star that's a big man to help help get mm-hmm. me those minutes, protect the rim or whatever. And let's yeah. say Steven also has an NBL team and he's in need <laughs> of a big man who can protect the rim. How does that shake out? Like if you have two teams that say, hey, you know, we, we'd really like Ariel Porty to kind of give us a presence down low. Obviously, he's been the program for a few years now and is off to a great start this year. But yeah. if there are multiple teams that are that are sort of interested in a prospect, like how does this get determined? Like how, how does the exact yeah. player assignment process sort of work? Yeah, cool. Good question. Um, so we engage the player directly so jeremy and i specifically are out there recruiting and 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 talking to to players and agents about you know players we think that could really excel here and we could be good for as a league um at that point we're not really talking about specific teams who you might play for but what the pathway presents as a as an opportunity um once there's kind of genuine interest from a player in joining the program I'll then start to communicate to each of our NBL teams to say, look, this is the player. This is the type of prospect he is. Here are his strengths and weaknesses and the like. Um, let me know if you would be interested in engaging with this guy, in potentially bringing him into your program, working with him, developing him, if you think he can help you win. Um, so then we start to get sort of expressions of interest from the various teams to say, yeah, Liam would be in on him. We'd, um, you know, we've we've dove deep into the tape and we've we've tapped into some some background intel, and this is a guy we'd be looking, to, you know, we'd be interested in. So this is the now we're at that point that you were describing, where the two of you guys who own NBL teams are both <laughs> interested in the next mm-hmm. Ariel Hook Porty or Alexander Sada come into the mix. So from there, we communicate that interest back to the player in their camp, and we provide some kind of information um, and a bit of a briefing about what those teams look like. So um, uh, as a side note here, it would be interesting for you guys to know the commercial terms of a Next Stars deal uh, worked out with the league, not as a result, not with the club, so that we engage the player commercially and contractually directly so then the decision about which team he's going to play for is a pure basketball decision. Yep. It's okay. about the coach, the roster, the style of play, their history of player development, the city. Some guys want to live mm-hmm. in certain different um, types of cities or, or climates or the like. Um, uh, 
and those types of things. So once we get those expressions of interest, we communicate what all those types of things look for. Here is the coach. Here is the roster. Uh, the guys they've got signed for next season and the like. Uh, who would you like to meet with first? Mm-hmm. And so the player said, well, I might let's meet with Stephen and his group mm-hmm. first and um, we'll go from there. Uh, so then we set up those meetings and essentially it's an opportunity to meet and greet for sure, but also a chance for the teams to put their best foot forward, essentially pitch to the player as to, hey, if you're going to come to the next stars, this is why you should come to us. Um, and we will be largely driven by the player and their camp through that process. So after they take that first meeting with Stephen, do you want to do you want to expand that now? Do you want to meet with with mm. with other teams? Um, in you know some cases they might meet with three or four or five of the interested teams. In Alexander Sars' case, for example, um, they wanted they took there was a bunch of teams that were interested. They took their first meeting with the Perth Wildcats. Danny Mills and John really knocked it out of the park. And the process got shut down from there. Um, they decided to, to roll forward with Perth. So, yeah, we um, we give the teams each an opportunity to put their best foot forward and express their interest. But I think it's an important element to note is that commercial. It's doesn't it doesn't come down to which team is going to be the highest bidder. It's mm-hmm. which okay. team is going to present the best basketball and development opportunity for that prospect. That's- fantastic like i think i think that's a really good and important way to do it and and to have the focus on the right things given that it is a player development program yeah so i got a question uh liam we're, we're talking a lot about like the 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 ins and outs and the basketball aspects what about um the the players when they travel to australia so for me myself i'm from very rural arkansas in the united states so like very like out in the middle of nowhere so australia is just only a perception in my head right now. So, and I imagine that you do get players from all around the world that have this idea of Australia and they come there and then they like experience it, obviously. Uh, what has, what has been kind of like some of the more fun things that you've kind of seen about these, these prospects coming over to Australia and then trying to grow accustomed to somewhere that perhaps they may have never been before. Yeah. Hey, it's a big move. It's a big move. We, we kind of make sure we've always keep that in mind, how, how much of a big move it is. And what's difficult for guys is they can't just take like a visit. It's very hard to just take a visit. Like you might <laughs> pop over for a couple of days and hop right back. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you might like players might take a quick visit to, to the Razorbacks and see what it might look like to come to Arkansas or <laughs> they take a visit to Gonzaga and LSU and they go, all right, cool. I've been there. I've felt it. I've seen it. I know what it feels like to be on campus. It's a bit of a bigger trip and a bit of a larger expense to come and do that here. So there is a leap of faith that's involved. Uh, guys do tend to have an impression that they're coming to the outback for sure, that they're going <laughs> to sure. kangaroos kind of hopping around and um, that there's going to be a little bit of like a Steve Irwin type crocodile Dundee type sort of vibe amongst everybody here. And then they arrive and they go, oh, hold on you know, I'm in Melbourne or Sydney, or like I'm in a big city here. And then quickly what we find is they grow very comfortable because it's English speaking. It's very Westernized. There's, there's, you know, a lot of being here in these, in these cities in Australia that feels like being in the U S. Um, and then the other part is it's the Australian summer here during our NBL season. So the climate is nice. The people are friendly. It's easy to understand because everybody's speaking English and there's a pretty quick transition period in that respect. What is 
what what is still challenging is the fact that you're a long way away from home mm. your friends and and your family that aren't that you know those that aren't here with you the time zone is tough when you're trying to stay connected to those people and they're asleep while you're awake and vice versa and then of course the basketball element the fact that you maybe haven't you know, you've, you haven't played FIBA style ball or or a, or a type of basketball that's as heavily coached and structured as what you might find in a big, you know, in a tough high level pro league as this. And then the strength and physicality of, of the players that you're competing with and against as well. So they are all ongoing challenges in the transition. But in terms of coming to Australia and, and growing comfortable, I think that part happens pretty quickly. Excellent stuff. And I just want to point out real quick, and I'll, I'll turn this over to Maxwell, but, uh, you know, we've seen people like Scotty Pippen, who big Scotty Pippen guy. He went to University of Central Arkansas. I was uh, on the the en- the enrollment list, but I didn't I rarely ever attend. That's why I, I joined the Navy. Um, but Scotty Pippen, big hero of mine. I saw that he went down and made the trip. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, some really prominent people in the world of basketball. I listened to you know, game theory, just like I'm sure a lot of other people do. Sam Bassini, you know, one of the big, you know, national writers that that does reside in Australia. They're all making these trips. And uh, ESPN has now uh, made it a point to start making the the viewing of these games a little bit more easy for those who might not be too familiar with the NBL. Um, what's what has that experience been like? Do you feel like that's been beneficial for the players, for the league at whole, everyone at large? And are, are you going to like taking this in stride? Is it business as usual? Are you taking time to enjoy all this, uh, this grand exposure as well? Um, just got to keep pushing forward, I think, is our approach here. Um, certainly, you know, there's, there's, you know, been some, some great kind of moments and markers of success within the league and certainly the next stars program along the way. And, and then it's just about, onwards and, and upwards from there. Um, it was great having Scotty and LaMarcus here over these last this last week or so. Um, I mentioned that the you know the two big sports here that play through the winter are just finishing up. The opening round of the NBL season was taking place at the same time as the what we refer to as the grand finals of both of those leagues. So it was a really cool and you know well um you know, and successful idea to bring Scotty in particular here during that period of time to launch the league because the kind of cut through that a guy like that has, one of the greatest players of all time, is you know, a guy that played with MJ, played with Luke Longley, who's an mm-hmm. who's an Aussie great and you know, won six championships, has amongst the general sporting fan here in Australia is huge. So he was able to kind of get around in a, in a quick sort of period of time and say, Hey, I'm here representing the NBL and the fact that the season's launching, um, you know, you, your footy season's over, your rugby season's over. It's time to start going to NBL games and, and, and lock into the start of the season. So yeah, it's been, it's been cool having some of that star power around. And, you know, I think that the, with the growing interest in the league internationally, that's, that's only going to grow. And you talk about, the you know guys like Sam Vecini being here and you know the presence of Jonathan Gavoni for example at the Blitz and um, you know his kind of level of coverage of NBA NBL prospects. Um, what we're really excited about this year is that there's going to be a very strong presence from NBA teams from a scouting perspective all season long. Like mm-hmm. every day or a couple of days, I'm hearing from from people that are saying, "Hey Liam, just so you know." 
this NBA team has me coming down and I'm going to be spending the entire season down there. I'm going to spend a month in Melbourne, a month in Sydney, a month in Perth. I'm going to be getting around. So just so you know, I'll be landing in a, in a day or two. That's been happening consistently over a period of time now. So some NBA teams are going to send people out at various times, but a lot of them are actually sending someone down here to be on the ground for the duration of the season. That's so exciting. That's, that's very impressive. League. Um, yeah, man. I, 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 anything else that you've got, Stephen? I feel like no, a uh, lot of ground here. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Liam, uh, first off, just want to again thank you so much for your time. We know that you, uh, as we can see on the outside, I know that it's only more, more but busier on the inside. But you know, time is precious, so I do appreciate you carving out a little bit of time to to be here uh, with the No Ceilings family. Um, before we let you go, just want to give uh, you an opportunity to kind of you know, maybe express some some things that, you know, NBL might be excited about that's upcoming, maybe personal projects that you have going on with some of your other platforms, things of that nature. Uh, floor is yours. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, now, appreciate you guys having me on, listening and, and reading to all the No Ceilings content. So, you know, appreciate your coverage of of the, the prospects that we have doing their thing down here right now. And, um yeah, if you can try to try to watch on over the course of the season. Now I know the time zone is tricky, but every game broadcast live into the states on ESPN three. Um, you know, it's a huge step forward for for our league in terms of you know the ability. If you want to watch NBL games in the states, you can, and you can watch every single one of them um, if you can get your sleeping patterns sorted out uh and then the other thing is you know if you're if you're interested in kind of really following the league a little deeply you know nbl overtime every week is it is um you know something that you can tap into so you can find that on the nbl youtube channel um my understanding come moving forward is that there's going to be there's going to be some more of that sort of shoulder content um, available via nba tv as well over a period of time which is Mm going to be really cool um, so keep your eyes peeled for that type of thing. But yeah, if you're um, if you're interested in the prospects and and the league as a whole, um, you know, watch on over the course of the season. And you know, I'm pretty confident that you know you'll enjoy the ride. And I, I just got to say too, as a viewer, the NBL has been one of my favorite leagues to watch over the past few seasons. And obviously, it's you know part of that's quality of play, the excitement, the, the play style, the physicality, and everything like that. But I also just think from a pure, just baseline production watchability yes. standpoint, it's a very easy, breezy watch. It's something that, you know, my, my wife isn't sitting down doing film sessions with me. But if I've got an <laughs> NBL game on the TV, she'll sit down and watch because it, it's, you know, high, high quality video, great commentary, the in arena presence and excitement shines through you get the smoke cannons on a three every now and then <laughs> yeah it's a, very, it's a very fun watch that even if you're somebody who's more ca- a casual follower of the draft and maybe just kind of consume it through podcasts and youtube and things like that i'm telling you watch one of these games you're you're Please gonna do. have a good time that's cool yeah oh well you know i think that'll be music to to larry kestelman's ears you know the owner of the league because <laughs> yeah. man like when he took it over you know there were two things that he was really keen to make sure was done and that is to elevate and maximize the in arena experience Mm -hmm. so you know all the the kind of um things that go on during timeouts and halftime and pre-game and like you say the smoke cannons and the like to maximize kind of the fun that families can have at the game but also um to increase and enhance the broadcast experience as well to try to take the fun that you would have being at an nbl game 
into the experience of watching it from from your lounge room or, or while you're cutting up tape with your with your wife and so <laughs> <as well. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> glad to hear that you're enjoying Mm-hmm. I could only imagine what it's like in, in, in person. It looks like it's, mm-hmm. it looks like it's an absolute blast. Yeah, we got it. We got to get down there. And where can where can people find you on on social media as well if they want to kind of follow you and, and see what you're doing on the day to day? Yeah, so you can you can find me on Twitter or X um, at uh, Liam underscore Santa, and um, and the same on Instagram. They're sort of the two spots that that I'm on. Or You'll catch me on the on the NBL broadcast on a on a weekly basis, and and also on uh, on NBL overtime um, with with my man Cam Luke, and uh, right now with Leonard Copeland as well, a great of our league. Whilst uh, our man Corey Homicide Williams is is uh, dealing mm. with health issues, so um, you know I I send my my a big shout out to him every opportunity I can, and um, yeah, they're they're the spots that you can find me over the course of the season. Excellent, Well, Maxwell um we'll we'll give an opportunity for us to share our work real quick and then we'll uh mm-hmm. we'll we'll jet out of here uh i know that you have a couple of big interviews coming out and yep. you care to kind of share those yeah yeah so by the time uh this is out i believe uh this column should be out i did a uh interview uh as well as a, a full scouting report column uh with mark uh mark mitchell at duke so projected first round pick out of duke had a blast talking to him he uh, it's going to lead the ACC in having th- that dog in him this year. He is a very, very competitive man, competitive player who just really understands how to play the right way. And I think paired with his physical tools, his defensive acumen, how he can put it on the floor, attack, and the work that he's putting in on his jump shot, I, I think he's going to be somebody that is in that firm top 20 mix throughout the year. So really enjoyed talking with Mark Williams, at, or Mark Mitchell rather, and uh, getting to write that scouting report on him. Different dookie. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're talking LaMelo ball. I'm thinking Hornets, you know, <laughs> of course. Yeah. There, there's a tie to everyone there. Mm-hmm. Um, as for myself, I got a, a fun piece. that's going to be kind of a, what to look for with certain players within this upcoming draft class. So be on the lookout for that and also stay tuned because I mean, no ceilings is just kicking off at season. So there's a lot of fun things in the work. We all got player interviews lined up. It's going to be a fun time. Your three is going to be a big one. So um, if you want to catch all of our work, the best way to do that is go over to noceilingsnba.com. Uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel at No Ceilings NBA Draft. And so, of course, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review at No Ceilings NBA Draft. But uh, Liam, again, just thank you so much for your time. I told Mr. Larry that we said hello, and we thank you for the great work that y'all are doing over there at the NBL. And uh, we'll catch up with y'all next time. Much love, everybody.